Well, hello everyone. This is Simon with Midweek Devotions, a time for us to be in God's Word throughout the week and to be doing it together too. We're continuing on in our series today, exploring the names of God in the Bible. We've looked at Yahweh and we've looked at Elohim. Well, today we're going to look at our third one, Adonai. So let's pray and then dive on in. Our Father in heaven, you are a good, gracious and kind God. And indeed, we know you by many names, many titles, many things that express to us who you are and what you are and how you are towards us. Help us today as we consider that we might call you Adonai, Kurios, that we might call you our Lord. Would you help us uh, not just to see it and to believe it and to understand it, but to live that out as it challenges us and as it calls to us, as it affirms us and lifts us up. Thank you, God, for being our Lord. Help us to see what that means uh, better as we consider it today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know about what kinds of genre of literature or TV you're into, but I've always been pretty partial to fantasy. There's just something about these great big worlds that are created, you know, worlds that are full of all kinds of people and creatures, all kinds of different places and things. I think it's really fun because it's, it's, it's sort of this really ripe setting for all kinds of adventures and exploration, different to the real world that we live in, and yet exploring lots of the same feelings and themes and ideas at the same time. Now, one of the things that seems really common, really, really common in fantasy is medieval hierarchy, you know, with kings and dukes and knights and peasants and things like that. There always seems to be this type of structure of authority and of power and of importance. There's always this sense of what it means to be greater or lesser, to be a master or to have someone serving. And in that context, there's always this language that surrounds it, one that we don't really use much of at all today, but used to be in the history of the world. You know, yes, my lord, no, my lord, as you wish, my lord. You know, to our ears, it's too stuffy, it's too formulaic, it's too structured and strict. Uh, sure, it acknowledges something of a relationship, but to us, when we hear it, it comes across as habitual, forced, perhaps even, so much so that it doesn't really mean much. That there is this structure, this need to put honorifics in, kind of reflects sometimes to us distance and detachment about the relationship, rather than reflecting something that is meaningful and close. We don't really use this kind of language today, not in the way our society and our relationships are set up and understood these days anyway, but it is maybe something that we're a little familiar with as Christians. One of the things that God is regularly called in the Bible is Lord. It's one of the things that we regularly call him as we pray and as we talk about him. He's the Lord. That's what the name or the title Adonai means. It's actually one of the most commonly used names for God. So much so that even the name Yahweh, when it's translated into our English Bibles, uses the form Lord, even though it's a different Hebrew word to the word uh, Adonai. But we're looking at Adonai today, and so what do we mean when we call God Adonai, when we call God Lord? Well, let's look at the first appearance of Adonai in the Old Testament. Uh, it's in Genesis 15. It's littered throughout the Old Testament, actually, but we're going to look at just this one for today. 
This is Genesis 15 verses 1 and 2. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who you will inherit my estate as Eliezer of Damascus? In Genesis 15, God makes that great promise to Abram that he would become a great nation with descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. But it begins here in the first few verses with a bit of reassurance. Abram had left his home to come to this new land, but up until this point, things had been pretty hard. And so God speaks to him and encourages him to trust, to not be afraid, because God is with him, because God is his shield and his great reward. Abraham replies kind of despondently, actually. He reflects on the fact that he has no child, and he shares his feeling that since he doesn't have an heir, nothing God does for him really matters or makes a difference ultimately anyway. And so in context of that, God's promise about a nation in the rest of the chapter is an incredible one. It really addresses his heart. But that's another thing for another day. In this moment, in this moment, we see Abram call God Adonai, the first time that word appears in the Old Testament. And it reflects some really great things. Abram's having a hard time seeing how his life of faith and trusting God is going to pan out. And it's in this moment that he calls him Lord. He calls God his master the one whom he lives to serve and to follow and obey. It's a way of calling God that at once recognises how glorious and great God is, while at the same time acknowledging and entering into a setting, a setting of relationship with him. Even though he's struggling, his commitment to this way, into this setting of relationship is really revealing. He doesn't see God as someone he follows and obeys just because he's going to get something for it. No, he's following, addressing God as Lord no matter what he receives. And then he's even able to reflect and share and be honest about his feelings, about how it's all been going. He feels so safe with God, that God, the Lord, his Lord, is someone he's able to be so raw with and plain with. What we're seeing here is really the difference between seeing God as a person to be in a relationship with, and a thing to make a transaction with. To call God our Lord is to place ourselves beneath him, commit to be in service of him, but to do all that in such a way that it's good and right and joyful on our part. Because to call him Lord means that he belongs to us, actually, just as much as we belong to him. Calling God Lord is an action that knows that even as we are called to serve him, we know also that he is looking after us. That in the context of our true relationship, he is in a manner of speaking obligated to us just as we're obligated to him, that he is and will be our good and gracious God, just as we are his faithful and obedient servants. And maybe this is a perspective that we are often missing. Sometimes we think of God's kingship and authority over us as flowing only in one direction. That God's kind of a boss that can say and do whatever he wants and, and then we're forcefully required to follow it. Like God is some kind of maniacal despotic dictator or something. That he's, 
hell-bent on making himself great no matter what the cost is to others. But, but that's not the God that we know. That's not the God who has revealed himself to us. Certainly it's true that God could demand that he could require all things from us, but he does not one-dimensionally interact with us like that. That's not all there is to him as God. He's the God of love, a God that is kind and gracious and full of goodness. And he's all of those things to us. As he relates to us, he is all of those things. So God answers Abram in Genesis 15 with a promise of a nation. And it's that great and incredible covenant moment, that encounter where Abram is asleep, but God is agreeing to take on the burden for the fulfillment of his promises entirely on himself. God who is Adonai here, God who is Lord, is the Lord we serve. And yet, we find that he serves us instead. It's probably no surprise then that this consideration of God as Lord takes us also to Jesus. Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is Lord of our lives. Jesus is Adonai, Jesus is Kurios, that's, that's the Greek word for Lord, the Greek translation of Adonai. And yes indeed, little tangent, that is where our tennis friend Nick gets his surname from. Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Adonai, Jesus is Kurios. And that name, that title given to Jesus, really does bear this rich idea of a relationship with God out as well. Let's consider just one passage again uh, in the Gospels, by way of example, of where we see Jesus taking up this mantle of Lord. This is Luke chapter 6, verses 46 to 49. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house, who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it, because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice, is like a man who built a house on the ground, without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. People call Jesus Lord, and do not do what he says. And Jesus goes on to point out that this is like building a house on a poor or non-existent foundation. And conversely, when you think about it, Jesus is pointing out the fact that when you hear his words and live by them, then there's real substance to what is being built, to the life that you are living. To hear and do what our Lord says means that our actions have meaning, that they have purpose, that they come from a place that is strong and secure and real. But to call Jesus Lord and yet ignore what he has to say, well, well that's living a lie. It won't last, Jesus says, because when that confession is tested, it isn't built on anything. It isn't built on a real relationship with him. See, as the Lord, Jesus rightly points out the fact that those who seek to follow him ought to do as he says. But he also reminds us that the foundation of that relationship, the foundation of that service and obedience, is him. It's the real belief and conviction that he is God, and the real belief and conviction that we can depend on him, that we can build on him, that we can have him as our foundation. That as our Lord, his way towards us 
is something we can trust and believe in. His way towards us is love. It's that kind, gracious goodness. And we see it, don't we? We see it in his life and his witness and his testimony. It's there in his coming to the earth as a human like us in the incarnation. It's there in the way that he lived while he was uh, here on the earth, his ministry. It's the way he gave himself up for us in his death. It's in his crucifixion. He is the Lord. He is our Lord. And while we seek to serve and obey him, we can do so wholeheartedly. Because as our Lord, he has served us first already. He's sacrificed himself and he's fulfilled his promises. He's done and completed everything required. He is the foundation, the good and life-giving foundation of our ability to call him Lord and live it out as well. To call Jesus our Lord is a statement of great intimacy. Rather than just being an acknowledgement of God in his greatness above us, to call him Lord is also an acknowledgement that he's come down to meet us where we are. That as our great Lord and King, he has saved us in his power. That we don't obey and serve him only because he's above us, we do it because he loves us and because we love him as well. Our ability as Christians to call Jesus Lord is a gospel thing. A gospel thing that in grace he has come down to meet us. And so today when you pray, call him Lord. Not just Lord of the universe or Lord of the world. Call him Lord. Call him your Lord. The Lord of your life. The Lord of your mind. The Lord of your heart. The Lord of your person. Call him Lord. And know that that's a relationship, a two-way street, something that he meets us in with kindness and love. And consider, as you call him Lord, perhaps consider how you obey him. Whether you're going well in that or not, call him Lord knowing that you can obey him, that you can do as he says, that you can do it with joy because he's gone first. He's not just our saviour. He's not just God. We can call him our Lord, our master, the one we serve. We can serve knowing it is good and right, a true joy because his rule over our lives is one that is full of grace. It brings us forgiveness and it provides for us our hope, an eternal future, the one that we're all waiting for. He is Lord, so let's call him that. And let's do that together now in prayer. Our Father in heaven, our Lord Jesus Christ, God, the Holy Spirit, you are an incredible and amazing, magnificent God. And we want to confess today that you are our Lord, that you are our master, you are the one that we serve. And that even though you could have demanded everything of us, even though you could have held all our works, all our actions, all our things against us. Instead of claiming them, you, you meet us in our need. You come into this world, come into our lives, become one of us. That you might serve us first. Lord, help us to see you as our Lord. 
that this is a thing of a, a rich and deep relationship. That we can trust you and lean on you and look to you. That we can believe in you and we can know that you defend us and protect us and help us. That you are there for us in everything that we do and see and face. Help us, Lord, to serve and obey you, to listen to your words, to do as you call, knowing, with joy, knowing that these things are good. Would you keep teaching us? Would you help us, Lord, to build on that right foundation, that foundation of Jesus, the gospel, and what he does for us on that cross? Thank you that you are our good, kind, and gracious Lord. Would that be a, a truth, a relationship that is more and more real to us today and in the days to come? And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's it for today for Midweek Devotions. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. Bye.